come on a journey with a cinephile. Wake up, sucker. We're thieves and we're bad guys. That's exactly what we are. Listeners to episode 130 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, I'm your tour guide here of David Garrett Jr. recording out of Columbus, Ohio. And in this episode here for you, I'm going to do a little bit something special once again as this is going to be another one of my list episodes. I'm going to run through my top 25 horror movies that start with the letter C. And I'm also going to do some honorable mentions as well as doing my bottom 10 horror movies that start with the letter C. This one is not a complete list, but it's all the movies that I watched that were compiled from the Fangoria Top 300 issue, as well as the Horror Show Guide Encyclopedia that I'm working through, and it's also been things that I've picked up on podcasts, as well as just listening to other people talk. So, like I said, this isn't the most comprehensive list of all the movies that start with this letter, but this is what I've seen, and if there's any of them that I missed, I will have something in the end of this podcast if you want to like shoot me any sort of feedback or anything like that. But I'm also going to have mini-reviews for you of We're All Going to the World's Fair. That's my 2022 watch for this week. I also got to watch The Brain That Wouldn't Die from 1962. And then I have also have mini-reviews of When a Stranger Calls from 1979 and the movie Slugs. Now, I don't think there's anything I need to get you up to speed with outside of that here. So what I'm going to do first is get you over to my monthly review. So my monthly review then for April is going to be that I watched... 34 total movies, 22 are in the horror genre, 6 of them are 2022 releases, making my percentage of horror for this month be a 64.71%. The horror movies that I watched during the month are Morbius, Island of Lost Souls, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, this is the original one, or not the original one, that's actually the first remake from 1978, Let the Wrong One In, The Shout, Unhinged, White Zombie, Donnie Darko, Vampire, Hellbender, Room 203, Fresh, Dr. X, The Happiness of the Katakuras, Dr. Sleep, Patrick, Dressed to Kill, Long Weekend, We're All Going to the World's Fair, The Brain That Wouldn't Die, I Drink Your Blood, Slugs are the ones that I watched during this month. Then there are seven countries represented with the United States, Ireland, Australia, United Kingdom, Germany, France, Japan and Spain and as I'm going through that I realize that I messed up on that there's actually eight countries represented 
My 2022 watches are Morbius, Let the Wrong One In, Hellbender, Room 203, Fresh and Raw Going to the World's Fair. My oldest watches are all from 1932 with Island of Lost Souls, White Zombie, Dr. X. And then the average year for this month is a 1992. And then my highest rated, I can't say it as it's not actually the episode being out yet as it's going to be one that's on a different feed and that was a 10 out of 10. I can't give you my lowest rated because you'll actually hear about it here shortly and it was a 4.5. My average rating is a 7.5 overall. And then the ones not on this feed are Dress to Kill. That's a movie club challenge movie over on the podcast Under the Stairs. I Drink Your Blood is going to be on Side Quest Podcast. And Dr. Sleep is going to be on Horror Haven Podcast. Now that they are back, they invited me on over there. So you should check that show out once it drops. Now, 2022 watches, I have 23 for the year. My horror movies for the year are 113. I've watched 164 total movies. My average year is 1998. My average rating is 7.5. And my percentage of horror is 68.9%. So then before I kind of get done doing this, I just kind of wanted to show and compare some of the things for April compared to other years and everything like that. So it looks like for April, I have... The six new horror movies for this year actually ties me for my most of 2019 as last year I had five and then 2020 and 2018 I had four. So I've watched 25 new horror movies in the month of April overall. And then for horror movies, this is actually my third highest as my highest ever was 2019 with 38. And then 2020 I had 26, this year being 22, and then last year was 20, and then the lowest was in 2018 with 18. I've watched 124 total horror movies during the month of April overall. And then for total films, my highest was in 2019 as well with I had 42. Then 2020 I had 36, this year I had 34, 2021 I had 33, and then actually I did that a little bit of out of order. As 2018 I also had 37. I've watched a total of 182 movies in the month of April. So for average year, this is actually my lowest. My highest would have been a tie between 2018 and 2019 with 1996. Then last year I was at 1995. Then it was 1994 for 2020. This year would be 1992. The average overall of all that is 1995. Then for my average ratings here, this is my highest that I've ever had at a 7.5. 2021 had a 7.3. And then I had a 7.2 in 2018, a 7 in 2020, and then a 6.9 for 2019. Nice. So the average rating overall of all of that is a 7.2. And then for percentage of horror, my highest ever was 2019, where I watched 90.48%. And then it looks like the year after that was a 72.22%. This year is next with a 64.71. And then there was a 60.61. My lowest ever was 2018, where I only watched 4865 horror movies and that totals out to be 67.93 percent and so overall since i've been recording everything it looks like i've watched 367 new movies that were released in the years you know everything like that horror movies i've watched 1592 i've watched 1987 total movies and then the average year this year is actually bringing it down as it's usually a 1999 and this year being 1998 right now is, you know, bringing that down a bit. My average rating is right on pace, though. I'm at a 7.5 this year. The average rating of everything I've watched is a 7.5. Now, percentage of horror, this is actually my lowest so far at a 68.9, where I have a average rating of, I watched 78.43 horror movies overall. 
So I don't think there's anything else I need to get you up to speed with here than for doing this monthly review and everything like that. So I will say thank you for coming on this journey with me, and I'll take you over to a very brief break before I get into those mini-reviews, so I hope you enjoy. Journey with a Cinephile. And for my first mini-review for this week is going to be We're All Going to the World's Fair. This is from 2021, but it's getting its wide release here in 2022 as it was doing its festival rounds last year. This was written and directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. This stars Anna Cobb, Holly Ann Frink, and Michael J. Rogers. This is a drama horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.7 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being... Alone in her attic bedroom, teenager Casey becomes immersed in an online role-playing horror game wherein she begins to document the changes that may or may not be happening to her. So this is a movie that caught my attention when it was being shown at the Nightmares Film Festival. This was showing on Friday or Thursday or something along those lines before I had to leave to go up to my wedding because I missed that festival. So I couldn't attend, but I kept my eye out for it. I did hear some others seeing this at other festivals, which sparked my interest. Now, when I saw that the Gateway Film Center was showing it again, I made it a point to see this one. So this doesn't have a whole lot of story to it. We get introduced to our lead, and that is Casey, portrayed by Cobb, and to this challenge that she's doing. From there, it's mostly a character study of her. We also get to see a bit from JLB, who's another online personality's point of view, as he is concerned what she might do. Now, I don't normally like to start with a negative, but I wish this one would have gotten more into this game of the World's Fair. We hear its name, and JLB points out that this is an open-world RPG. He says it's a massively multiplayer online game, like one of those, kind of like you get with like World of Warcraft. We don't see that, though. We see an old 16-bit version of the game. I would like more of this like thing that they're playing, because what we see is more of a challenge like you go around on social media platforms. What I did like was seeing a few different videos of others who have taken on this challenge and the effects they say are happening to them. So with that out of the way, I do like most of what we're getting here. This is more of a character study of Casey, as I was saying. What I like here is that she is a lot like many of us that grew up with the internet with like chat rooms and stuff. Like hers is a little bit different, but I can also see the kind of parallels. I also see part of myself when I was around her age and meeting people in chat rooms is she is doing a bit more with having videos. What I like is that she wants to have a presence. She's putting herself out there, but I also feel like we see her, she's lacking confidence and self-esteem. So this is actually Cobb's feature film debut, and I thought she did an excellent job at conveying both sides of this role, and I would bet that there is something natural there for her age as well. So going along with this character, I think there's mental illness here. It almost feels like a commentary on the pandemic and how it isolated people. We never get to see her father. We hear his voice once and him coming home. I'm guessing that her mother had passed away from a video that we are seeing in this. If it isn't a commentary on that, it is about those that live through their online personalities only. There is depression there, and this was leading her to having dark thoughts that I've brought up. This is a relevant problem that fits for our world that we live in currently, and I mean, we've seen things in this previously with, like, Pulse. What should be enough there for the story, there isn't much more to go into for the acting. I've only given credit to Cobb for her, how she played her role very well. I did want to give credit to Rogers, as he is the only other actor that gets fleshed out. JLB is also a character that I don't fully trust. It is a bit weird seeing him contacting Casey. This uneasy feeling never gets resolved for me. I did want to give credit to the way that he played his role, though, and that's part of the reason why. 
So the last thing I want to go into would be the cinematography effects and soundtrack. For the former, we get some interesting ways of filming this. This is partially a desktop horror in that we are seeing Casey through her computer monitor. We are seeing what the camera on the computer is seeing. That does make for some things eerie. She also uses a camera which gives that found footage intimate feel. This also has a camera recording of other things like other people doing videos. We get some solid cinematography just in general. The movie is limited on effects, but what we got was fine. What I did want to give credit to would be the soundtrack. The use of music helps to build the atmosphere that this movie needed. The sound design also worked well. So in conclusion here, this is a movie that I had something in my head and that isn't necessarily what we got. I don't want to hold that against the movie because that isn't fair. This is my own biases and I try not to have them. But we are getting an interesting character study of Casey. She might be troubled or she might just be going through some things. She is using her videos and this game as an outlet. I would say that her performance was good. I wanted a bit more from the World's Fair aspects, but in the end that isn't the focal. We get some good cinematography and a solid soundtrack. I would say this is an above average movie. If what I said interests you, then give this one a go. My rating for We're All Going to the World's Fair is going to be a 7 out of 10. And for my second mini review on this episode is going to be The Brain That Wouldn't Die. This is from 1962. This was directed by Joseph Green, who also wrote the screenplay while the original story was written by Rex Carlton. This stars Jason Evers, Virginia Leith, and Anthony La Pena. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.4 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, A doctor experimenting with transplant techniques keeps his girlfriend's head alive when she is decapitated in a car crash, then goes hunting for a new body. So this is one that I feel like I heard or at least knew of the title long before ever seeing it. It appeared in the horror show guide encyclopedia of movies that I'm watching. I'll be honest though, that first viewing I wasn't the biggest fan. It had been some time since I saw this, and I will say that I did see the remake that took this into a more comedic way at a film festival a couple years ago, so after seeing that, it made me intrigued to revisit this one, and that's what I'm doing now. So where I want to start is that this one has an interesting premise. It comes out in an intriguing time as well. It is well after the Universal Classics, and it's even late for the boom of science fiction of the 1950s. And we are getting a transitioning here of incorporating those elements where we would get in the late 1960s and into the 1970s where humanity is more of the monster. For this one, we get an odd tone that is schlocky at times while also being grounded as well. Now, I did end up reading some trivia that part of the reason here was that this movie was made in the late 50s but then had some issues with distribution and I feel like even some court issues before finally getting released. So then, to delve into what I was saying, though, previously is I want to start with the character of Bill, who is our lead. We get an odd introduction to him. This movie is a variation on the Frankenstein mythos. Now, his father is Dr. Cortner, and he's old school. He does things by the book. He doesn't like losing his patient, but his methods are within what they're allowed for medical practice. Now, Bill is arrogant. If he does something that is outside the lines of what has been approved, and he's willing to do that. The more that we get to know him, he is more of our villain. He would also fall into this mad scientist category, and he's also a predator, which I'll go into next, but he isn't dumb. He's out there looking for someone for a replacement body for his girlfriend. This takes him to a cabaret show where he is considering strippers. He also goes to a beauty contest and then to a model that he knew from school. Bill knows what he's doing is wrong. He gets thwarted a few different times when someone will recognize him or who he's picking up. He doesn't want to be seen by anyone as the last person with whoever goes missing. That is creepy. 
It does work though, as I think it develops him into our villain and how far he will go to be right. Evers was good in this role and he fit for what was needed to portray this. Then moving from there, I don't want to harp too much on this, but I'm going to go into the science a bit. Keeping the head alive, while it probably wouldn't work, but I do like the fact that they've tried to make this as realistic as they could. It is interesting that at the time of this film, transplants were still relatively new. It does seem that like Reanimator took this idea for what they do with Dr. Hill. Now I can go with what this movie is doing as it works for the logic and I can't necessarily disprove anything. So in the last part of the story I want to go into would be his girlfriend of Jan and her plight. I find it fascinating. She doesn't want to live and Bill won't let her die. She doesn't want to kill anyone to keep her alive, and there is a question if the serum changes things to bring them back like Reanimator or Pet Cemetery. She just seems bitter, but she can't blame her either. I do think Lathe does a good job there. It is interesting as well that the creature that was made like a Frankenstein's monster, it makes it more realistic that Bill practiced what he did before Jan was injured, and what I will say, it doesn't feel like he truly wants to help her and is more of trying to prove his experiment by the end. Now that should be the extent of the story so I wanted to delve into. I've already said that I liked Evers and Lathe's performance. Everyone else comes off a bit robotic if I'm honest and that could be also with the writing. I will say that La Pena is fine as he gets so angry about things quickly. The women in the movie were attractive for the era. We have Marilyn Handled who plays Peggy Hauer who is a model that Bill visits. She has a scar on her face that didn't look great but I can be forgiving there. I did like Brighton in the minor role as the father. Other than that, I thought the rest of the effects were fine. There should have been more blood from some of the wounds, but I recognize the era. The creature that we see in also doesn't look great. I will say the cinematography is fine. It doesn't do anything too out of the ordinary as it's mostly just static. So now with that said, I wouldn't recommend this film unless you're a fan of the era. This would be better watched with Mystery Science Theater, and I know they did a commentary, and I think that might make it funny. To give credit, we are getting an interesting blend of horror and sci-fi. It comes out in a transition period. Evers and Lathe are solid as the rest of the cast feeling a bit robotic for the most part. It is a little bit boring and that does hurt it for me. It isn't the worst or the best from the era. I did enjoy this more than the last time around. I still think this movie is quite average and I had more problems than good things so I'm coming in at being just below that middle mark. So my rating here for The Brain That Wouldn't Die from 1962 is going to be a 4.5 out of 10. And then for my next mini review for you, I have When a Stranger Calls. This is from 1979. This was directed by Fred Walton, who also co-wrote this with Steve Fecky. This stars Carol Kane, Charles Durning, and Ratanya Alda. And I should also point out here that Tony Beckley is in this as well as our villain. Now this is a horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a psychopathic killer terrorizes a babysitter then returns seven years later to menace her again. So this is a movie that I had known about long before I had ever seen it. I feel like I knew this one growing up since it was playing on the urban legend about the babysitter and getting phone calls. It is one that would pop up now and then on horror podcasts as well as appearing in the horror show guide encyclopedia that I'm working through. I've also seen the remake when that came out before ever watching this one and I did rather enjoy that one when it came out. I've kind of cooled on it since then. So I did watch this in prep for 1979 for the summer series for the podcast Under the Stairs. So I'm going to be very brief here because this could make the episode not sure yet so I don't want to spoil anything or give away too much of my thoughts. But this movie isn't necessarily what I thought it was. 
It doesn't make it bad though either. I think we have a great opening sequence. The rest of the movie is just a bit off. I think we're getting an interesting character study of Kurt, who is the villain, as well as a look at mental health. We blur the lines of our villain with the man hunting him, which was interesting, and that's John Clifford portrayed by Durning. I did find the movie to be a bit slow. The acting was good, the cinematography was fine, and what they did with the soundtrack to help build tension worked for me, mostly with the sound design with like ringing telephones and hearing things off screen. After my initial viewing, I would say that this is an above average movie, and one that I would end up rewatching again, and I might end up having to do it for the summer series. So that's where I'm going to leave my review here for When a Stranger Calls from 1979. And for my last mini-review on this week is going to be Slugs. This is from 1988. This is directed by Juan Piquer Simon. And then the screenplay was written amongst Ron Gantman. And it also looks like Jose Antonio Esquera and Simone also helped out there. And then the novel was written by Sean Hudson. This stars Michael Garfield, Kim Terry, and Philip McHale. This is a horror film that is from Spain. It is currently sitting on a 5.2 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being killer slugs on the rampage in a rural community. So this is a movie that I feel like I knew about, but probably was also lumping into with things like frogs and squirm. I'll be honest, this would be one that if it was on television, I probably would have watched, but would not have rented it. But this is one that I heard about on podcasts, especially from people who like eco-horror like this movie. And I'm also watching this one in prep for the Summer Challenge series for the podcast Under the Stairs, just to see if this one would be the movie that I would select for my year. So because of that, I'm going to be very brief here, but this movie is fun. I think it has some good social commentary about capitalism and taking care of the environment while still being a solid creature feature. The acting works for what they needed. The best part of the movie, though, would be the effects. I was surprised there, to be honest. The movie keeps moving and never gets boring. I can't appreciate that. This is shot well, and the soundtrack fit for what was needed. I would say this one's over average, but comes up short while still being one of the better Jaws ripoffs, I would say. So that's where I'm going to leave my review here as well, so I don't, you know, spoil anything or play my hand or anything like that. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to a very brief break before I get into the main event for this episode. Okay, and now I would like to welcome you in here as this is going to be the main event for this episode. And what I wanted to do is something a little bit different since this is another milestone number for me. Not one of the major ones, but being that it is episode 130, I wanted to recap now my top horror movies as well as my bottom horror movies that start with the letter C. I've already done this for A and B, and then this is the next one as I'm not actually done with the D, so I won't. I'll get into that another time, but so what I want to go ahead and do is I'm going to rattle off my honorable mentions in this little segment here. I'll also do my 25 through 21, and then I will take a break, and I believe I'm going to come back and do the 20 to 10. I will do my bottom 10, and then I will give you what my top 10 horror movies for this letter will be. So I'm just going to go through briefly, not really say a whole lot about the honorable mentions, but at number 10, I have Censor. This is from 2021. Then the next one is The Cleansing Hour from 2019, Coma from 1978, Cold Skin from 2017, The Ordeal, or it's also known as Calvair from 2004, I have Candyman from 2021, Kronos from 1993, The Cat of Nine Tales from 1971, The Craft from 1996, 
And then the last one here for this one will be the Collector from 2009. Those are all the ones that just missed my list. And then just to kind of put this into perspective, I'm pretty sure all of those are rated at an 8 out of 10. So this is going to be a fairly strong list in my opinion. And the other thing I should preface here as well is some of these movies has been a long time since I've seen them. So this is the last time that I've watched and rated them. So there are going to be some that might be head scratchers, but just know I probably have not seen it for some time. And this list is going to be very fluid. So this is how it is sitting currently at this time. So then coming in at number 25 on this list to start everything off officially is going to be Color Out of Space. This is from 2019. This was directed by Richard Stanley, and then he also co-wrote the screenplay with Scarlett Amaris, and then this was from the story by H.P. Lovecraft. This stars Nicolas Cage, Jolie Richardson, Madeline Arthur. This is a horror mystery sci-fi thriller film that is a co-production between the United States, Malaysia, and Portugal. This is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being A secluded farm is struck by a strange meteorite which has apocalyptic consequences for the family living there and possibly the world. So this is a movie that I covered as a featured review back on episode number 12 as well as a mini review on episode number 59. So I have covered this a couple times on the podcast. So I would recommend going and checking those episodes out if you want to hear a little bit more but... This one I saw in the theater originally, and I had a lot of fun with it. It didn't hold up as well with that second view, and I'm pretty sure Jamie watches with me as part of when I was doing my roundup for that year. But I think this movie is good, and I like it despite its small flaws. I really like what Stanley is doing here with taking this Lovecraft story and adapting it as he did. It is quite the creepy route that he took it. There are some slight issues I have with some of the acting and then the pacing for a stretch of this. It does do some good things with the concept and the social commentary. I thought the effects were on point and beautiful at times as well. The soundtrack and sound design were good as well. And I've heard some people say that only the pretentious will like this, but that is fine. I think this is a good one in my opinion. It has come down to me as I was saying after that second viewing, but I still think it was one of the better films from the year that it came out. So my rating here for Color Out of Space was an 8 out of 10. And then at number 24, I have Christine. This is from 1983. This was directed by John Carpenter. And then it's from the novel by Stephen King and the screenplay by Bill Phillips. This stars Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, and Alexandra Paul. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.7 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a nerdish boy buys a strange car with an evil mind of its own and its nature starts to change to reflect it. So this is a movie that I do think I need to end up revisiting here in the near future. I did do, looking at my review, it's one that I did once I, right before I started doing the podcast, so it's... I was still more of a modern mindset, but the last time I watched it, I just didn't love it. I still think it's really good, as, I mean, you'll hear about my rating, and I think this is a solid adaptation of the novel. I like the idea of a car being something of evil from the beginning. This one has a deeper concept of growing up and how it can change us. I like that the car is able to fix itself, but also make the main character of Arnie into a better-looking and more confident human being, as it sort of is like a possession and obsession type thing. The problem becomes that him becoming worse because of it. I do think that there's a bit of a pacing issue. The effects were great while the score of the film was good. Acting for this one is solid. This isn't my favorite from Carpenter, but it's definitely a good one. And I would recommend giving it a viewing if you haven't. And like I said, this is one that I do need to revisit now as well. 
So my rating here is going to be an 8 out of 10 as well. And then coming in in my position of number 23 is The Changeling from 1980. This was directed by Peter Medek. This was written amongst Russell Hunter, William Gray, and Diana Maddox. This stars George C. Scott, Trish Van Bever, and Melvin Douglas. This is a horror mystery film that is from Canada. It is currently sitting on a 7.2 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, after the death of his wife and daughter in a car accident, a music professor staying at a long, vacant Seattle mansion is dragged into a decades-old mystery by an inexplicable presence in the mansion's attic. This is another one that I do need to revisit. Now, looking at my review, it is one that was right before I started doing the podcast, but I've actually never recorded or like kind of reviewed it. I've only seen this movie once. It was actually in the theater. So this is one that definitely needs to be rewatched. But I don't have a lot negative to say. I thought it was good. The story is interesting, and it does move a bit rapidly early on. I think that's partly an editing issue. The film does write itself, and together both are good from that point on. I thought the acting was excellent. I was impressed there. The effects were pretty much non-existent, but I think for being a ghost film, it doesn't hurt that at all. As some tend to go cheesy, so I'm glad this one doesn't fall into that. The sound design was also solid, and I would recommend give this one a viewing. This one had me spooked, and it's one of the better ghost films out there that I've seen. So after that first viewing of this movie, I have it at an 8 out of 10, and this is The Changeling from 1980. But as I've been saying, this is one that I do need to revisit because I have a feeling my score will go up now that I have seen this at least once. And then up next for you at the position of number 22 on this list is Carnival of Souls from 1962. This is directed by Herc Harvey, who also co-wrote this with John Clifford. This stars Candace Hillegoss, Francis Feist, and Sidney Berger. This is a horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.1 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being, after a traumatic accident, a woman becomes drawn to a mysterious abandoned carnival. So this was a movie that was a mini-review over on episode number 123. I've seen this a couple times. Um, I know, like, originally my mom had this on DVD, and then I've seen this at the Gateway Film Center, and then I rewatched the DVD that I have for it now. I think I've seen it, like, four times, I believe. So, I recommend seeing this. It's a haunting tale of a woman trying to deal with a near-death experience. It makes you question if these ghouls she has seen are real or, or if she's hallucinating to deal with her trauma. Hillegoss's performance is solid, while the rest of it just kind of push her to where she ends up, which works. Soundtrack is haunting, and that's one of the best parts. The editing of this was also good. So I would say that if you are into the history of horror, this is definitely one that you should see, especially because this is just like a low-budget, regional-type effort that really just kind of works on multiple levels and is dealing with just some interesting-type commentary underneath it. So for me, Carnival of Souls from 1962 is an 8 out of 10. And then the last one for this section here is going to be a little bit of a controversial pick, but this is my list, and I am not overly worried about it. But coming in at number 21 is going to be Coco. This is from 2017. This was directed by Lee Uncrick and then co-directed by Adrian Molina. The original story is by Uncrick, Jason Katz, and Matthew Aldridge. This features the voices of Anthony Gonzalez, Gail Garcia Bernal, and Benjamin Bratt. This is an animation adventure, comedy, fantasy 
family mystery musical that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on an 8.4 on IMDb and a 4.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, Aspiring musician Miguel, confronted with his family's ancestral ban on music, enters the land of the dead to find his great-great-grandfather, a legendary singer. So, this is a movie that I covered as a mini-review back on episode 106, and the reason that I'm including is I think we have enough horror elements here. I mean, we've got, like, the Sugar Skull things, most of this movie takes place in the land of the dead... If this boy does not get back and get his family's approval, he'll actually stay in the Land of the Dead, which is kind of creepy. I just think this is a family-friendly thing that is introducing horror elements, and since it's my list, that's why I'm putting it here. But this movie lived up to the hype for me that others have shared. I thought the voice acting fit the characters, and it feel exactly what they're supposed to be. The animation is amazing from Pixar, and the different colors used just add another element to it as well. I like the care that was put into the writing to explain why we need to honor their ancestors along with the mythology there. I'd say this isn't my type of music, but it adds to the movie. Even the villain works, and it makes that much more invested for me. This won't be considered a horror film to most, but for my criteria, it fits. This is a movie that I'd recommend if you like Pixar, Disney, and would go as far as to call this a gateway horror movie. So my rating here for Coco is an 8.5 out of 10. So I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to a very brief break before I get into my top 20 horror movies that begin with the letter C. And welcome back. So then to start off my top 20 here, I have Cube from 1997. This was directed by Vincenzo Natali. This was written amongst Natali, Andre Bajelic, and Graham Manson. This stars Nicole DeBoer, Maurice Dean Wint, and David Hewlett. This is a drama, horror, mystery, sci-fi film that is from Canada. It is currently sitting on a 7.2 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being six complete strangers with widely varying personalities are involuntarily placed in an endless maze containing deadly traps. So this is a movie that I originally had saw in college, and I think I've seen it now a couple times since then. But for this budget that it has, it's actually really good. It blew me away that first time, and to be honest, it still holds up for the most part after that second viewing as well. The story is basic, but it definitely shows us the darkness of humanity. This film also has historical significance with things that came after it. It is paced in a way where I never got bored. The movie is driven by the acting, which is good across the board in my opinion. The practical effects are well done, but I do have to say that the CGI doesn't necessarily hold up. The soundtrack didn't stand out to me, but it also doesn't hurt the film either. I would say overall this is a good one, and would actually recommend this to horror and non-horror fans alike. So my rating here for Cube is an 8.5 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 19 position on this list is going to be Child's Play. This is the original from 1988. This was directed by Tom Holland, and then it comes from the story from Don Mancini, and the screenplay was written between Holland and John LaFia. This stars Katherine Hicks, Chris Sarandon, and Alex Vincent. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a single mother gives her son a much sought-after doll for his birthday, only to discover that it's possessed by the soul of a serial killer. So this was a mini-review for me back on episode number four. Now, I think I had seen this I maybe a couple times. I've watched more of the sequels because they were always on the movie channels, so this one always didn't come up, but I still think this is really good. The concept seems to be a little bit hokey, but I think it works. 
This is a good supernatural slasher, in my opinion. Thought the story works. I know the writer and creator Mancini didn't like the voodoo angle that was brought in, but I think that is kind of needed. Even the death, I can give a pass by explaining how Chucky's soul gets into the doll. The editing of this story builds attention to a satisfying conclusion. The acting along with the soundtrack helped to heighten and allow this to play out as it should. The effects were good as well as the deaths looking pretty solid and bringing the doll to life was also done very well in my opinion. This is one I definitely recommend. Not as fun as some of the sequels and it's the darkest of all of them. For that reason I do think this one is probably my favorite. So my rating here for Child's Play from 1988 is going to be an 8.5 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 18th position is Cloverfield. This is from 2008. This was directed by Matt Reeves and it was written by Drew Goddard. This stars Mike Vogel, Jessica Lucas, and Lizzie Kaplan. This is an action, horror, sci-fi, thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a group of friends venture deep into the streets of New York on a rescue mission during a rampaging monster attack. So this is one that I've done a mini review a couple times on this show. The first time around was episode number 19 and then again on episode number 38. As I know, I'd watch this one with Jamie as she had never seen it, and I was filling in through my you know list of C movies. And then this was also selected as a Summer Challenge series the one year when I was on the People's Council, so I watched it there. And this is one that I'm actually glad that I gave a few rewatches to. I knew that I liked it the first time, but I can confirm that this is good. As a fan of giant monster movies, this one feels so real. Going along with the found footage, they did make it feel like this could really be happening, and the realism is great. Thought the acting, effects, and sound design were good. The low running time and editing of the film helped to keep the tension building to a satisfying conclusion. I even liked at the beginning being somewhat of a drama to help us like the characters, or at least get to know them, so we care what happens in the end. If you don't like found footage, I'd avoid this. If that's not the case, I think this is a good movie, especially if you like giant monster movies. And I'd recommend give this one a viewing, as it does hold up after multiple times, just to kind of see the different things that you might have missed and whatnot there. So my rating here for Cloverfield is going to be an 8.5 out of 10 as well. And then I have coming in at number 17, The Curse of Frankenstein. This is from 1957. This was directed by Terrence Fisher. The screenplay was written by Jimmy Sangster, and this is based upon the classic story by Mary Shelley. This stars Peter Cushing, Hazel Court, and Robert Ukuhart. This is a horror sci-fi thriller film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being while awaiting execution for murder. Baron Victor Frankenstein tells the story of a creature he built and brought to life only for it to behave not as he intended. So this is a movie that was a mini review back on episode number 94. And this last time I actually got to watch it, I believe it was at the Gateway Film Center. So I got to see it on the big screen, which was fun. So this is one of the better Frankenstein films out there and really kicks off the series for the Hammer films. I think we have some interesting changes to the story. I like that Victor is telling the tale to us and trying to get a priest to believe him. There are some interesting underlying issues that you can get down with as they're still relevant today of like toxic masculinity and classism. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee are legends and the rest of the cast fit for what was needed. There aren't a lot in the way of effects, but good for what we got. The soundtrack didn't necessarily stand out to me, but it fit for what was needed. I think this is a good film, and I prefer it to the Universal, if I'm going to be honest, because my preferred one over there is actually The Bride of Frankenstein, where I think the original one is lacking just a bit. 
So my rating here for the Curse of Frankenstein is an 8.5 out of 10. And then for my number 16 position is going to be Cat People from 1942. This was directed by Jacques Tournier. This was written by DeWitt Bodine. This stars Simone Simon, Tom Conway, and Kent Smith. This is a fantasy horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.2 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, an American man marries a Serbian immigrant who fears that she will turn into a cat person of her homeland's fables if they are intimate together. So this was a mini review back on episode 117. I believe this is the second time that I've actually watched it. Now, this is an interesting film. It had a backstory I liked with this myth in a Serbian village. The story of what plays out is interesting and I like the subtext. The acting drives this. Our three main stars were great with the rest of the cast rounding it out as well. There are a lot in the way of effects, but they do some interesting thing with angles and shots. The score doesn't stand out, but doesn't hurt it either. So for this one, I recommend giving it a viewing. I will warn you, being from the 1940s and being in black and white, that could be an issue for some people. But if that's not, you're missing out on a good movie if you've not seen this one. As I think, despite how tame it is at times, it is actually exploring some interesting things. I really do enjoy this movie quite a bit. And that is why my rating for this movie here of Cat People is an 8.5 out of 10. And I actually prefer it to the remake as well. And then to start off my top 15. The next one is going to be Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954. This was directed by Jack Arnold. This was written amongst Harry Essex, Arthur A. Ross, and the story was by Maurice Zim. This stars Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, and Richard Denning. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.9 on IMDb. Nice. And a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a strange prehistoric beast lurks the depths of the Amazonian jungle. A group of scientists try to capture the animal and bring it to civilization to study. So this is one that, another one that actually that I watched right before I started doing the podcast. And I've only ever seen this once, but it jumped up to being one of my favorite Universal films. Now, I had been holding off on watching this for a long time, but I'm glad that my first experience was in 3D at the Gateway Film Center. This presents an interesting concept that I definitely think could be possibly true about having like this unknown species living deep in like a jungle like this. There are parts of the world that are unexplored even with our technology and things become much smaller with that type of stuff. Explored are interesting. I think that we have it paced in a way where the tension builds. The acting is solid. The effects were quite amazing in making this creature look so real. Soundtrack definitely fits to help build the tension. Overall, I'd say this is one of my top universal horror films as I was saying and it's a really good one. I would recommend giving this a viewing for a younger horror fan or those who still enjoy the classics. And I guess if you don't like older movies, then go ahead and avoid this one as it is in black and white. But I still really like this one, and I've been really excited to give it a rewatch. I just haven't had the time and given it a chance yet. But my rating for The Creature from the Black Lagoon is an 8.5 out of 10. And then up next for you, I have a movie that goes by two different titles and at number 14. So it says Curse of the Demon or Night of the Demon from 1957. This was also directed by Jacques Tournier. The screenplay was written by Charles Bennett, as well as Hal E. Chester. And then this is from the story by M.R. James called Casting the Runes. This stars Dana Andrews, Peggy Cummings, and Nal McGinnis. This is a fantasy horror mystery 
thriller film that is from a co-production of the United Kingdom and the United States. This is currently sitting on a 7.4 on IMDb and a 3.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being American professor John Holden arrives in London for a parapsychology conference only to find himself investigating the mysterious actions of devil worshipper Julian Carswell. So this is another one that I believe I reviewed right before doing a podcast and this was right up my alley with things that I enjoy and it's crazy to think this came out in 57. I thought the idea of the scientists wanting to prove that all these supernatural things aren't real, but then going down a path to discover that it just could be. There is a bit that all this could be an idea that they could die is causing them to go mad. So there's like a logical explanation there. It never gets boring and I like how it ends aside from the 50s style happy ending. The acting I thought was fine, a bit degrading towards the character of Joanna though. Effects for this were surprisingly good for the era that came out. The soundtrack fit for what was needed, as it definitely enhances some of the scenes. I think this is a good film, and definitely one that I do want to revisit. If you're into cult, supernatural, and someone who is trying to prove that what is happening here isn't real. Once again, another one that if you don't like black and white films, I would avoid. But I think this is a good movie. I believe that the DVD I have has an alternate cut that I'll probably watch the next time around. So as I said, I enjoyed this one. My rating here for Curse of the Demon or Night of the Demon at this time is an 8.5 out of 10. But one that I do want to revisit as well. And then coming in for me at number 13 on this list is going to be The Conspiracy. This is from 2012. This was directed by Christopher McBride, who also wrote this. This stars Aaron Poole, James Gilbert, and Ian Anderson. This is a horror thriller that is from Canada. It is currently sitting on a 6.2 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a documentary about conspiracy theories takes a horrific turn after the filmmakers uncover an ancient and dangerous secret society. So this is a movie that I actually did a mini review for where to begin with found footage and mockumentaries and I ended up really liking this movie. And that was for the Teapots Collective actually. So seeing the world of conspiracy theories and how deeply people get sucked into them is frightening all by itself. This movie takes it even more and takes it farther. I think that we have some genius writing and editing to help make this feel real almost. The acting also helps with that along with the cinematography and sound design. This movie just resonates with me and it's not going to be for everybody. I'm probably coming in higher than most and it's just a great movie in my opinion. It won't be for everyone as I was saying, but if you like movies like this and can actually kind of see the realism of where the world is and where it's kind of going, I think you should see this one. So this is going to be the first bump in rating here as my rating for The Conspiracy is a 9 out of 10. And that's why it comes in at this spot on the list. And then coming in at number 12 for me, I have Cold Hell. This goes by the original title of Di Hole. This is directed by Stefan Ruzowitzki. And then the screenplay was written by Martin Ambrosch. And then the dramatization by Claudia Colland. This stars Violetta Shaharolo, Tobias Moretti, and Sammy Sheik. This is an action crime thriller film, and I think with how dark this goes, I also consider this to be horror. This is a co-production between Austria and Germany. This is sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a vicious serial killer is targeting prostitutes in Vienna, Austria. A young, tough woman from Turkey who works as a taxi driver witnesses one of the murders and becomes a target. The police are of no help, so she must stop him herself. 
So this must be another one that I also watched before I started doing the podcast. And I had heard good things about this movie, but just hadn't gotten around to seeing it until, I believe this was probably for my year end, or it would have been somewhere around that. I'm glad I did watch this because it has some interesting concepts. It is sad to see how much of a struggle life can be for someone like our main character of Ozgi, as she is such a minority due to different things. Learning about her past and seeing why she is so guarded helps to bring this to life. Going even farther, this has some good concepts that go along with this as well. There was a bit of pacing issue, but it does correct itself. I thought that the rest of the acting was solid, the effects were as well, and this is shot very well in my opinion. The score didn't really make it stand out too much, but it fit the scenes for what was needed. So this is a foreign film that I had to watch with subtitles on, so that's an issue I would avoid this one. But if you want to see a woman who finally has put up with enough and decides to fight back, I would recommend this, because I think this is a good one to fall into that type of category. So my rating here for Cold Hell was a 9 out of 10 as well. So in the last movie for this section here coming in at number 11 is going to be Confessions. This goes by the original title of Koku Haku. This is from 2010. This was directed by Tatsuwa Nakashima. This is based on the novel from Kane Miyanto. And then Nakashima also wrote the screenplay. This stars Takako Matsu, Yashino Kamira, and Masaki Okada. This is a drama thriller that is from Japan. It is currently sitting on a 7.7 on IMDb and a... 3.9 on Letterboxd with synopsis being a psychological thriller of a grieving mother turned cold-blooded Avenger with a twisty master plan to pay back those who are responsible for her daughter's death. So this is another one that might not be considered horror, but I think it's close enough. And I did this one originally for the podcast Under the Stairs for our Movie Club Challenge. As this is one that I'm glad that I was told to check out. It has such a dark feel to it as to what this teacher's like doing to get her revenge. I think that's great. I like the social commentary here about law in Japan and parents protecting their children and conversely the pressure parents put on their children. This is edited in a way that it never gets boring and I thought that had a great ending. The acting was good across the board. There aren't a lot in the way of effects but what we got was solid. I thought the soundtrack adds a nice duality and fit the scenes for what was needed. I would definitely recommend this if you like dark psychological thrillers and I just think this is a good movie overall. So my rating here for Confessions is once again going to be another 9 out of 10. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to a very brief break before I get into my bottom 10 and hope you come back and listen to what falls on that list. I would like to welcome you back once again and then just to kick off this list here for my bottom 10 horror movies that are starting with C a lot of these ones I haven't seen for quite a while so I mean at some point I'll probably give them a revisit it's not one I'm rushing back to like any of these ones but just kind of want to give that prefaced here so then coming in at number 10 on this list is going to be Carnosaur 2 this was directed by Louis Morneau this was written by Michael Palmer this stars John Savage, Cliff D. Young, and Don Stroud this is an action horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.6 on IMDb and a 2.3 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, a team of scientists go to a nuclear mining facility to investigate a possible meltdown and instead find a large amount of cloned dinosaurs. So this one isn't great. 
don't come in expecting much as most of the people that I see liking it either love these type of bad movies or had watched this with like friends and everything and that's where they really got a lot of enjoyment. But it is fun, so I will agree with them there. The story is lacking a lot. There's quite a bit left unexplained and it feels like you need to see the original in order to fill in some of the gaps for this one. The acting was pretty lackluster, even from actors that I personally like, like Stroud and Nunez, that's Miguel A. Nunez Jr., as well as De Young. The effects are good, there are still some issues with it, but the dinosaurs look pretty solid and the gore was as well. The film has a low running time, but the editing doesn't build the necessary tension that we need. I think this is more due to poor writing. The score doesn't add much, but it also doesn't hurt it, but this is one that I would recommend watching with friends for a laugh but it was still below average for me. So for me, my rating here for Carnosaur 2 is a 4 out of 10. And then coming in at number 9 is Carnival of Souls, the remake from 1998, which is kind of interesting that the original one is on my main list. So this one was directed by Adam Grossman. It comes from the story Carnival of Souls by John Clifford, and then the screenplay was also written by Grossman. This stars Bobby Phillips, Shawnee Smith, and Larry Miller. This is a drama horror mystery film that is from the United States. And I actually believe Wes Craven might have presented this one, if memory serves. But this is sitting on a 3.1 on IMDb and a 1.9 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a young girl witnesses the brutal rape and murder of her mother by a circus clown and begins to have nightmares when the carnival comes back when she is an adult. So, looking through my review, it actually sounds like I've watched this twice and I don't remember seeing this one that many times. Because I don't think this one's very good. It does well at keeping the feel of what the original did and having that surrealness. It does have a strong story for the impact that it does bring. I like the concept that the guilt of our main character is carrying in causing her to have these horrible visions that are haunting her. The acting was mediocre. The effects were used were decent, making the creatures look creepy. This real feel of this one, I do enjoy. I think the editing did lack as it was boring to me. It never builds necessary tension, and the score doesn't stand out either. So this is another one that I feel is a below average one, and I would recommend seeing the original and avoiding this one. And I'll be honest, there's not a lot that sticks with me outside of who the clown was and like how just devious that person is but outside of that there's not a lot that stuck with me so my rating here for carnival of souls from 1998 is once again a four out of ten and then coming at number eight on this list is the contractor this is from 2013 this was directed by sean olson and then screenplay was written between him as well as bradford holt and it looks like the story was written by jeffrey shenick this stars danny trejo christina cox and brad rowe this is technically a crime thriller, but I think some of the things they do make it go at least horror adjacent for me. This is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.8 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being Elizabeth Chase is busy remodeling her new home with her husband and daughter. She hires a contractor, Javier, to help, but soon Elizabeth starts to grow suspicious of him and learns that he's targeted the family all along. So, this is one I would not recommend seeing. I don't know even know why that I picked it up, but the movie was boring. There was a lot of unbelievable things that happened, and I personally just didn't make a lot of sense to me. The acting was subpar, and the story was just bad. The only redeeming factor is that Danny Trejo plays this badass character so well, but I don't believe he's as tech-savvy as they have him in this movie. But, I mean, like I said, he is giving it his all. The female characters in this are all attractive, but I don't think they save this one even remotely but i do feel this one 
is there's an interesting enough premise here. It just doesn't work, and we've seen some of the things in better movies. So that's where I'm just going to leave my thoughts on this one, is my rating for The Contractor is a 4 out of 10. And then coming in at number 7 on this list is The Curse of the Komodo. This is directed by Jim Wynorski. This was written by Steve Latshaw. This stars Tim Abel, Melissa Braselli, and Gail Thackeray. This is an adventure, horror, sci-fi film that is from the United States. This is currently sitting on a 2.9 on IMDb and a 2.0 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, genetically engineered Komodo dragons have become ginormous creatures hunting people on a remote tropical island. A small group of scientists must stop the dragons before they escape and destroy the rest of the world. So I'm going to start off with, I'm pretty sure this was like a sci-fi film. If it's not, it's pretty much on pace or like on par with that. So I'm not the target audience here. This is one that you can't really come in with a critical eye. The story is basic, the acting isn't great, and the comedy doesn't land for me. If you don't mind a movie going CGI heavy, and if you like creature features that are like that, I think you might enjoy this. This one, you have to watch with people, I feel like, as well. Especially a group if you're going to be having drinks in my eyes and just kind of want to not necessarily pay attention to something and just kind of laugh here and there. I didn't care for it, to be honest, so this is a below-average movie for me. So my rating here for The Curse of the Komodo is a 3.5 out of 10. And then my next movie that I have for you coming in at number 6 on this list is The Crawling Hand. This is from 1963. This was directed by Herbert L. Strock, and he also helped co-write the screenplay with Bill Idelson, and then this is from the original story by Joe Cranston. This stars Peter Breck, Kent Taylor, and Rod Lauren. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.1 on IMDb and a 1.9 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, the hand of a dead astronaut comes crawling back from the grave to strangle the living. So, this is a movie that isn't very good. You can really see that they didn't have much in the way of a budget, but there's a good concept there, but I just think they decided to do what doesn't work. I would say that the runtime is fine, but I really just don't care, as I really can't buy into what they're selling, and the ending wasn't very good either. The acting is fine, but no one stands out. Much in the same way, there's not really anything in the way of effects, but they were practical and look fine for what we do get. The soundtrack didn't stand out to me outside of using The Bird's The Word by The Rivingtons, which I'm not a fan of that song, but there's just something odd about it that I did enjoy here. So this one was boring, but much better sci-fi horror movies out there that you could check out, so that's why I would kind of say to avoid this one. So my rating here for The Crawling Hand was a 3.5 out of 10. And then to start my top 5 of this bottom list here is going to be The Child's Eye. This comes in, as I said, at number five, and this goes by the original title of Tong Nguyen. This was co-directed between Danny Pang and Oxai Chen Pang, and they also helped co-write this with Thomas Pang. This stars Rainy Yang, Elena Kong, and Sean Yui. This is a horror film that is from Hong Kong. It is currently set on a 4.2 on IMDb and a 2.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, a group of friends find themselves stranded in an old hotel. As they uncover the history beneath the walls, they're slowly drawn into a sinister past, making it harder to get out alive. So, this one, again, not very good. I think it was better suited to be marketed on its own and not part of the i-series, as it has very little to do with the previous film. 
I do think that this had some good aspects to it. I personally think this should have been fleshed out, some of the things that they do introduce. And I also think that they should have built more tension, but I really didn't feel stakes were raised enough. There's just some things that were unexplained, even though it had a good backstory. I do think the acting was fine and the practical effects were good, but the CGI was bad. There were also some good things with the sound design, but again, that wasn't great as well. So what I will say is that I had to watch this with subtitles on as this is from Hong Kong, as I was saying. Keep in mind that if you decide to check this one out, that it does have some issues, but I find this to be below average, unfortunately. So my rating here for The Child's Eye is going to be a 3 out of 10. So then the next one that I have for you is probably the one that I do need to revisit the most as it probably shouldn't be here on this list, but it's been a long time since I've actually watched this one. And this is Chaos from 2005. This was directed by David DeFalco. This is based on the original idea by him as well as Stephen J. Bernheim. And this is loosely a Last House on the Left kind of homage, taking the things that they did there and doing their own kind of spin on it. But this stars Kevin Gage, Sage Sloan, and Kelly Casey Kwan. This is a horror thriller that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.2 on IMDb and a 1.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being two teenage girls on a mission to find drugs at a rave get more than they bargained for. One is sexually assaulted while the other is tortured in horrific ways. The attackers seek refuge in the parents of one of the victim's homes. So... If you want to see a parents getting their revenge on the bad guys movie, avoid this one because we don't really get that here. This film takes the disturbing parts of the Virgin Spring and the Last House on the Left, but doesn't give us that satisfaction of seeing good people push to the edge and then doing what they never thought they could. There is some bad acting with a couple bright spots. I would recommend seeing the other films in this subgenre, as this one, at the time I watched it, I was kind of offended by it, so I thought at the time it's not worth your time. I don't necessarily know if I'm going to go up too high on this. I do know some voices that I respect in horror podcasting do really enjoy this one. I believe that David DeFalco is a bit crazy and a little bit delusional with some of the things that I heard. I think he did well, though, in creating a violently brutal film and did some good things there. The problem is that I just felt at the time of watching this that he did more wrong than right for me. So I don't think my rating would be nearly as low as I have it now. But at the time of watching this, was a 3 out of 10? This would have been probably in like 2010. Actually, no, probably a little bit after that. But this one is due for a rewatch for me. Now that I'm a little bit more seasoned and have seen things that are a bit more brutal, at the time I just felt like this was just violent for violence sake. So I do want to preface with all of that. So that is why this is appearing here with a 3 out of 10 rating if I haven't already said that. And that's why it comes in at this time on the list. And then coming in at number three on this list is going to be The Crow Wicked Prayer. This is from 2005. This was directed by Lance Mungia. This comes from the novel The Crow Wicked Prayer by Norman Partridge. And then it's based upon the comic series and strip by James O. Barr. And this also was written the screenplay by Mungia. This stars Uji Okumoto, Marcus Chong, Tito Ortiz. We'll also have Edward Furlong, Tara Reid, David Borneas, and Emmanuel Chikri. This is an action-adventure comedy fantasy horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.0 on IMDb and a 1.5 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being... On his way to becoming an immortal demon, a gang leader orchestrates the murder of an ex-con and his girlfriend. So, 
another one that I would not recommend. I only watch it as I had watched all the other Crow films leading up, and I still just wanted to finish out the series. If that is what you're going for, then go ahead, but this film is bad. The only bright spots are the concept that our villains are trying to kind of recreate being the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then we have the crow trying to ruin their plans of those, you know, trying to, you know, stop them. And these four horsemen are trying to, trying to ruin the plans of anybody that has wronged them. We also see Tara Reid when she was still normal. And she was still quite good looking. And then same thing with like Chikri, who, I mean, she didn't have any issues since then. And sorry to Tara Reid or any of her fans out there. But the acting was bad. The story was pointless. And I was pretty indifferent to what was going on for the most part. This was kind of a failure in my opinion, which I hate to be so mean about it. But with just what we get here, there's good ideas and concepts that just don't really get fleshed out. So my rating here for The Crow Wicked Prayer is going to be a 3 out of 10. And then coming in as my runner-up as being the worst movie that starts with the letter C for horror movies is Carnosaur 3 Primal Species. This is from 1996, directed by Jonathan Winfrey. The story is from Rob Kirchner, as well as Constantine Nasser has uncredited, and then the screenplay was written by Scott Sandine. This stars Scott Valentine, Janet Gunn, and Rick Dean. This is an action horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.1 on IMDb and a 2.0 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being International terrorists get a surprise when their cargo turns out to contain living dinosaurs. The Army Commando team now have to think fast if they want to prevent the extinction of the human species instead of the reptiles. So... This isn't a good movie by any stretch. The third film in a series that doesn't do much in the way of continuity outside of there are dinosaurs running amok. There are some good concepts, but they're just poorly executed, unfortunately. The ending was predictable. The acting was bland across the board. We get some good effects, like the gore. Thus, some bad ones with how the creatures move. The editing isn't good, and the film never builds the necessary tension that it needs for a true climax. And the score doesn't help or hurt the movie. So I found this one to be very below average. There aren't a lot of great horror dinosaur movies out there, but this is one that I would actually avoid. I would probably say the only one that I really like is the original one in this series. It isn't even all that funny to watch with friends, unfortunately, and that might be the only way if you just like to watch bad movies with a group as where it might have some redeeming qualities or if they're doing like a commentary on t you know underneath it and everything. So my rating here for Carnosaur 3 Primal Species is going to be a 3 out of 10. So then this would make the worst film on this list for me is Creepshow 3. This is from 2006. This was co-directed amongst Anna Clavel as well as James Glenn Dundelson. Now, Clavel wrote the segment Alice, while Dundelson wrote the segment The Professor's Wife, and then Scott Frizzell did Haunted Dog. This stars Stephanie Petty, Roy Abrasone, and Susan Schramm. This is a comedy fantasy horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 3.1 on IMDb and a 1.4 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being. This is the second sequel to Creepshow. Features five new tales of horror which are Alice, The Radio Call Girl, The Professor's Wife, and Haunted Dog. So this is one unfortunately that I've seen a couple times and I would avoid this one. The acting is bad, the stories are not all completely explained, and the use of CGI is horrible. I think the concept of some of these stories is decent. 
The lack of a wraparound story also hurt this one for me, especially only, well, I guess only because Creepshow kind of had that through thing, and we don't necessarily get that here, but these are all interconnected and somewhat. I would only recommend seeing this if you're a big fan of anthology style or bad horror movies. You'd be better off watching the original or the sequel, as this one has nothing to do with Stephen King or George Romero. They are only using the title, which is a shame. So my rating here, once again, for Creepshow 3, then, is going to be a 3 out of 10 as well. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is, now that I've ran through all of the ones on my bottom list, I'm going to get you over to one more break before I get you over to my top 10 horror movies that start with the letter C. So now to the technical main event here as I'm going to start my top 10 of horror movies starting with the letter C and I'll start with The Conjuring from 2013. This is directed by James Wan. It is written amongst Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes. This stars Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, and Ron Livingston. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.5 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, Paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren work to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in their farmhouse. So, I've only ever seen this one once. I saw it in the theater, and I feel like from that only viewing that I had, that this was a good big studio horror film. I thought it was interesting to incorporate two real demonologists, despite what your personal thoughts about them are thought this was paced and edited well to allow us to get to know them as a family that is dealing with this paranormal entity and that'd be the family as well that is living in the house i like the backstory that was given and the scares that were done i thought the acting was good across the board the effects were mostly cgi but i thought they were well done to an extent the use of shadows helped and i think that was a good idea the score of this didn't blow me away but it does fit for what was needed with the sound design Overall, I'd say this is a good film and worth a viewing regardless of your liking of the horror genre. I do really need to revisit this movie, though, for sure. So after that one viewing of The Conjuring, I gave it a 9 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 9th position here on this list is going to be Coldfish. This goes by the original title of Tsumatai Netiago. Probably did not say any of that correctly. But this was directed by Sion Sono, who also co-wrote this with Yohiki Takahashi. This stars Mitsuro Fikikoshi, Denden, and Asuka Kurosawa. This is a crime drama thriller that I also consider to be horror with how far it goes with some of these things. And this is from Japan. It is currently sitting on a 7.1 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, The lives of a bored suburban couple are changed forever when a seemingly nice old man gives their daughter a job at his fish store, and soon his gruesome hobbies are brought to light. So this is a movie that I've actually seen a couple of times. I know one of the times was for the Podcast Under the Stairs Movie Club Challenge, and then I also watched this as part of... The summer series for the 2010s, and this is a movie that I liked it the first time that I watched it, and then liked it even more of the second viewing. We have a premise that we've seen before, but I think the performances bring these core group of characters to life. I wasn't expecting the effects to go as brutal as they did, and it was appreciated. This movie is shot well. It has an atmosphere that builds tension to the ending. So for me, this is a great movie. I will warn you that this is from Japan, so I had to watch it with subtitles on, and this movie goes for it and gets pretty bloody in the end 
So if that's something that would bother you, I would definitely avoid this one. But if not, you can handle that. I would recommend Coldfish and give this one a 9 out of 10. And then my number 8 on this position is going to be Candyman. This is the original one from 1992. This was directed by Bernard Rose. It was based from the story by Clive Barker of The Forbidden. And then Rose also wrote the screenplay. This is starring Virginia Madsen, Xander Berkeley, and Tony Todd. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States, as well as a co-production with the United Kingdom. This is sitting on a 6.7 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being... The Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. So this is a movie that I don't think I had saw it until, like, college, and then I had watched it at the Gateway Film Center on the big screen, and then I gave this another viewing with my wife of Jamie because she had never seen this one, and she was interested in seeing the remake that came out in 2021. So we did a bonus episode number eight was us covering both of those movies. So this is one that I highly recommend. It's a supernatural slasher in a sort, but I feel it's much more than that. I feel it could almost be read as a woman who is losing her mind, murdering people, yet believing it is a man who is haunting her with visions. The acting of this is good, and that helps to build this feeling that I had. The effects of this are also well done. The editing and score also help to have not only a creepy, but a surreal feel. Candyman is a solid entry into a horror genre as an icon. This is a good one and worth a viewing, and one of the best from the 1990s in the horror genre, in my opinion. So my rating here for Candyman is a 9 out of 10, and if you couldn't tell, you should definitely see this one if you haven't. And then up next, coming in at my number 7 position here, is going to be Carrie. This is the original one from 1976. This was directed by Brian De Palma. It was from the novel by Stephen King, and then the screenplay was written by Lawrence D. Cohen. This stars Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and Amy Irvin. This is a horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.4 on IMDb and a 3.8 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being Carrie White, a shy, friendless teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering religious mother, unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom. So this is one that I actually read the novel in high school, and then I gave it a reread a couple of years ago. But this is another one that I highly recommend as a movie. I think this is a classic. The story isn't complex, but it doesn't have to be, since so many of us can connect with things that are happening in this movie, especially with the ideas of bullying. The things we see in the climax aren't even the most horrific in the scheme of Carrie's life. The acting is good in this one. The effects are all practical and looked real. The editing does have some issues, but for the most part, it's good. And, I mean, we're also getting some of the classic De Palma-type stuff, and it's just crazy how this guy doesn't really focus too much into horror. He kind of flirts with it, but he did make one of these classics. I think the score is solid and helping to build the tension and the mood of the scene. I think this is great and deserves to be seen if you aren't a fan of even horror movies. I think this one definitely is one that should just be seen in general, in my opinion. So my rating here for Carrie is a 9 out of 10. And then sitting at my number six position on this list is going to be Cannibal Holocaust. This is from 1980. This was directed by Ruggiero Deridato. This is from the screenplay by Gianfranco Clerici. And then we also have some additional dialogue for the Italian version from Giorgio Stangani. This stars Robert Kerman, Francesca Ciarda, and Perry Piracanon. This is an adventure horror film that is from Italy. 
This is sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being, during a rescue mission into the Amazon rainforest, a professor stumbles across lost film shot by a missing documentary crew. So this is one that I originally saw in college as my roommate had heard about how like wild this one is, watched it, and then he let me borrow his copy that he had, and then I watched that. And then I think I've seen it once more when I was going through these letter C's on this list. And then I know that I also covered this, I believe, for the podcast Under the Stairs. Might be wrong on that one, but I know I've seen this one like three times. And I will say, I only can recommend this if you can stomach it. This is very violent and graphic by nature. There is a cut you can watch with the animal deaths that are taking out, but it doesn't take out the gore or the realism of the other scenes. The acting seems amateur, but makes this feel more real. I think the score is great and makes the scene at times feel just the dichotomy that they build. The effects are amazing. The editing is well done. And I think this makes you think about human nature and the things that we do and kind of paved the way for a lot of movies after this. I think this is an excellent film but I can't recommend it to everybody. So my rating here for Cannibal Holocaust is a 9 out of 10. And then to start my top 5 horror movies, to start with the letter C. It's going to be The Cabin in the Woods is next at number 5 as this is from 2011. This was directed by Drew Goddard who co-wrote this with Josh Whedon. This stars Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, and Anna Hutchison. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being five friends go for a break at a remote cabin where they get more than they bargained for, discovering the truth behind the cabin in the woods. So this is one that I've seen three times. I watched it with an ex when it first came out and then rewatched it for a movie club challenge over on the podcast Under the Stairs and then rewatched it again for the summer series. And this was a mini review on episode number 90, but... I recommend seeing this. I know I've heard some people that don't love this one, and I get it, but this is just a different movie, and I found it to be one of the better ones that I've seen from that last decade. If you don't like comedy blended in with your horror, you might not like this one. I think it has a deeper story, but not only looks at us as the viewers, but also how we see films that we love. It blends two different worlds together. It also has a great Lovecraftian feel. The editing keeps this one going to the climax, and the ending I thought were both great. Thought the acting was solid across the board. The effects, both practical and CGI, are pretty solid. The only thing that doesn't necessarily hold up is at the very end. The soundtrack didn't stand out, but it fit for what was needed. I would say to give this one a viewing if it sounds interesting. I don't think most of you will be disappointed, but I think this is just an amazing film in my opinion. So my rating here for The Cabin in the Woods is going to be a 9.5 out of 10. And then coming in at number 4, I have Cape Fear. This is from 1991. This was directed by Martin Scorsese. It comes from the novel The Executioners by John D. MacDonald, and then an earlier screenplay by James R. Webb, and then Wesley Strick wrote this screenplay. This stars Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, and Jessica Lange. This is listed as a crime thriller. I think it goes dark enough with what Robert De Niro's character does to take this into horror as well. This is from the United States. It is sitting on a 7.3 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being... A convicted rapist, released from prison after serving a 14-year sentence, stalks the family of the lawyer who originally defended him. So, this is one that might not be a horror film to everyone, but I think it has enough elements to be one. The story and concept are quite scary because we are seeing someone do the wrong thing for the right reason, and that sin needs to be paid for. 
There are so many layers to the story. I think the pacing is good in building this tension to a solid conclusion. The acting helps bring it to life and great across the board. Effects are good for the most part. There's some slight issues there. Soundtrack doesn't stand out, but it fits for what was needed. I would definitely recommend this to horror and non-horror fans alike. It is kind of brutal and goes far, but I don't think it goes too far. I have to say that this is a great movie either way, and my rating here for Cape Fear from 1991 is a 9.5 out of 10. And then coming in at number three for me, I have Creepshow. This is from 1982. This was directed by George A. Romero and from the original screenplay by Stephen King. This stars Hal Holbrook, Leslie Nielsen, and Adrian Barbeau. This is a comedy, fantasy, horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.8 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, an anthology tells five terrifying tales inspired by the EC horror comics of the 1950s. So this is one that I've seen a lot. This one would always be on the movie channel, so I would watch it growing up whenever it was on for the most part. Pretty sure I saw this at the Gateway Film Center at some point. And then I've covered this one on Movie Club Challenge over on the podcast Under the Stairs. And actually my buddy from Sledgehammer Horror of Ken, we actually watched this as a bonus episode number four here on this podcast. So for this one... I really enjoy this anthology, even after all these viewings. I'm a huge Romero and King fan, so seeing these two bring this to life is great. I like the EC comic style stories with the feel to mesh everything together. This movie feels like it is a comic book, and I mean, this is like taking stuff from like Tales from the Crypt and whatnot. The wraparound is good as well. I think the acting is great across the board. Even if some of it can be over the top, effects are great, which I come to expect when I see Tom Savini's name. Soundtrack also fits for what was needed and helps build the atmosphere. There isn't a bad segment here, and even the ones that I rate low, I still think are good. If you've never seen this, even if you're not a horror fan, I would recommend it. It's a fun movie. I find this to be good and one of my favorite anthology horror films of all time. So my rating for Creepshow is a 9.5 out of 10. And then coming into my runner-up position here is my favorite silent film of all time, and that is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. This goes by the original title of Das Cabinet des Caligari. This is directed by Robert Venny. This was written with Carl Mayer and Hans Janowitz. This stars Werner Cross, Conrad Viet, and Friedrich Ferrer. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from Germany. This is sitting on an 8.0 on IMDb and a 4.0 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being Hypnotist Dr. Caligari uses a Sambalist Cesar to commit murders. So this is one that was a featured review back on episode number 17 and I think it's great. I originally saw this one in a film class in college and then have seen it quite a few times throughout the years and it's combining for me the film and its historical significance into my final rating. The film and the movement of German Expressionism had a huge part in changing Hollywood and films that we see today. The story itself isn't complex, but it has a low running time and it doesn't hurt it for me. The acting is solid for the era, the backgrounds are wonderful, and making it almost nightmarish, as well as the score. I will say that this is from Germany, so that doesn't really affect anything being a silent film, as you have to read title cards anyways, and it is from the 1920s, so keep that in mind, but I would recommend this if you're a diehard horror fan and want to see more of the history of the genre. If not, this probably won't be for you, but I love this movie. So my rating for The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is a 10 out of 10. And then my number one movie on this list, some of you might think it's a cheat, but I don't care. This is my list, and I consider this to be a horror movie. And that is going to be A Clockwork Orange from 1971, directed by Stanley Kubrick, 
who wrote the screenplay, and then this comes from the novel by Anthony Burgess. This stars Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, and Michael Bates. This is technically only a crime sci-fi film, but as I said, I consider this to be horror. This is from the United Kingdom as well as the United States as a co-production. This is sitting on an 8.3 on IMDb and a 4.1 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. So this is a movie that I've seen originally in high school and then watched it quite a few times in college as I wrote multiple papers to help me get through college and help me to graduate. I've seen it twice at the Gateway Film Center, and this is one that I'm trying to get Jamie to watch, but she's a little bit leery of it. But I think this is a masterpiece. It is my favorite Kubrick film, as well as fallen in my top five movies of all time, as I think there's so many layers to it. This is partly a reason why he is also one of my favorite filmmakers. We have this futuristic story that feels grounded and almost timeless. The performances here from McDowell is excellent, and the rest of the cast is great in directing him to where he goes. This movie is shot beautifully. The effects aren't great, but they also don't have to be. The soundtrack fits for what was needed and works so well. I don't have much negative to say here, aside from this movie being a little bit long. I can't hold that against it as it still flies by for me. This is as close to a perfect movie as you can get, in my opinion. So my rating here for A Clockwork Orange, if you couldn't tell, is a 10 out of 10. So now that I've ran through my movies, I would like you to tell me what yours are. You can get in touch with me with any of the ways that'll be here shortly in my outro. Is there anything that I left off? Is there anything that you would include? Is there anything that I might not have seen that I should check out to see where it would fall? As I said, this is a fluid list, and as I watch movies, can come and go on this as well. So that's all I really kind of wanted to tell you here. So what I will say then is I'm going to get you over to one last break before I close out the show. I would like to welcome you back, and then just to close everything out here, if you'd like to send me an email with any sort of feedback or anything that you'd like to have read on the show, you can send me that email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If there's anything that you send me you don't want read on the show, just let me know in that email. If you'd like to read any of the reviews from anything on this episode or any of the past episodes, that's horrorreview.webnode.com. If you'd like to become friends with me on Facebook, I'm David Mishkin Garrett Jr., on Twitter, I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxd, I'm David OSU. And over there, I'll be posting all of the reviews of anything that I'm watching that is horror or non-horror alike. If you'd like to follow my Instagram page, that's David OSU87. If you'd like to follow the Journey with a Cinephile Instagram, that's Journey with a Cinephile, all one word. What I will be posting over there is on both of them the movie posters of anything that I am reviewing. And if you follow my personal one, every now and then you might see some personal pictures if I ever post any because I tend to forget while I'm out and about. And just to make it easier on you, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. And then the last thing I'd ask you to do is that whatever podcatching device you're listening to me on, if you could go ahead and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're able to rate and review just so I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, as well as to get out to more listeners out there as well. So then for my next episode, I'm going to go back to doing my Trek Through the Twos as the two movies that I'm going to be pairing up with this are going to be Hatching. This is showing at the Gateway Film Center, so I'm going to go over there sometime this week to check that movie out and do a featured review there. 
And the other movie I'm going to pair that up with is going to be The Mask of Fu Manchu. Now, I'm not really sure what this one's going to all entail, so I'm not sure how this is going to work out as a double feature, but those are the two movies, and I will continue to watch mini-reviews of horror movies, mostly probably prepping for the Summer Challenge series to make sure that I figured out what movies are going to be my picks and everything over there. So I don't think there's anything else I need to get you up to speed with here, so I will say is thank you so much for listening. I hope you're safe in whatever you decide to do today. And have a great time as well. This is your tour guide of David Garrett Jr. And I am signing off. It had been a wonderful evening. And what I needed now to give it the perfect ending.